the Duke there, skin. You're on In Your Face on 3CR with James. On today's show, we chat with Graham Watson from out in Perth. Rodney Croom from Just Equal joins us. And a bit later, we talk to Florine Douglas from Transgender Victoria. Well, Graham Watson is the managing editor of out in Perth, and he joins us on the line. Graham, welcome to In Your Face. Nice to be back, James. What's news out west? Well, you know, I think we're in the middle of the possibly most boring election um, we've ever had. <laughs> it's uh, kind of a little bit different because the Labor government uh, has had one term in and Premier Mark McGowan's latest um, poll has seen him drop from 91% approval rating down to 89 I think, um, as where most people can't identify who the leader of the opposition is. So it's, it's a bit of a... I think we know where the outcome's going to be and it kind of makes for a bit of a boring election. Of course, that's been said many times before and there's been, you know, a bit of a surprise result. I'm not saying that Zach Kirkup's going to win, but do you think he might get the sympathy vote because people think it's a shoe-in for Mark McGowan? I think so. I think there will be a little bit of that um, sort of, you know, support just for the underdog, I guess. Um, He definitely is the underdog in this election. Zach Kirkup, of course, only became the leader um, a few just a few months ago, um, at the end of 2020, uh, when the previous leader, Lisa Harvey, stood down um, quite close to the election. So he's quite young. He's in his you know, early 30s. He's, uh, it's his first term in Parliament. And um, so he doesn't have a high level of recognition or a sort of a, a long track record of being in the Parliament. So he's not so much a known quantity, um, but he's sort of um, surprised people during the election a little bit. He's come out with a energy um, sort of renewables policy, which is um, more ambitious than the Labor policy, um, and definitely puts some odds with his uh, Liberal colleagues on the East Coast. But when it comes to LGBTI issues, it's really been silence from both the major parties. They've had absolutely nothing to say. Um, they've been approached about various issues that we might care about, and uh, the Greens have had, you know, sort of put their policies out there, but from Labor and Liberal, absolutely nothing. So presumably you're approaching Labor and the Liberals and saying, why aren't you speaking out on LGBTIQ issues? What are they saying to you? What are they saying to you in private? Well, nothing, I think, is the answer to everyone who's been asking, in public or in private. We've certainly been putting the inquiries in. Uh, We've been asking the questions, but we're not getting any answers. But we had a really interesting moment with Zach Kirkup two weeks ago where um, one of his candidates, uh, Amanda Sue Markham, who's standing for the electorate of Victoria Park, which is in inner city Perth. Um, she was asked about her um, views on homosexuality because her husband is a pastor um, and he has previously said some quite strong anti-gay things in the past. He's, um, and they, he, she was asked in a press conference, does she support her husband's views? And Zach Kirkup stepped in and stopped her answering and she was not allowed to answer. Um, which created a bit of a sort of scandal for a day or two. That's amazing, isn't it? So even when someone tries to speak on LGBTIQ issues, even if it's something we don't want to hear, they're silenced. I mean, what does this say about the state of WA politics when it comes to queer issues? The the day before um, the Liberals had had to drop a candidate after it was revealed she believed that 5G possibly causes COVID, um, and there were some questions about their vetting of candidates. Of course, obviously, they're not being asked if the Canon Victoria Park, you know, sort of supported these outrageous views about homosexuality. There was a bit of a panic moment, I think, from Zach Kirkup when he suddenly had to sort of step in front of the microphone and say, anyway, moving on, not talking about that. Um, a few days later, Amanda Simak had come out um, and say that her views on homosexuality are well known, although they're not because she's never answered the question. She's actually stood for Parliament a few times. She ran for the um, Fred Niles Christian Democrats here in WA back in the early 90s. And then she moved to Tasmania, where she stood for the Liberals um, on a couple of occasions. And she's been asked about her views on homosexuality in several elections now. And all she ever says is that her views are known, although she's actually said what they are. Do you think the McGowan government is homophobic by its lack of uh, speech on queer issues? No, I don't think they're homophobic. I think they're uh, lazy might be a better word. They went into this term of government with a lot of promises on things they were going to do from the LGBTI community. They certainly got a lot of support from elements of our community. Um, And really their only achievement since coming to power four years ago was that they um, did the... um, expungement of historical records um, that went through quite quickly. And then they got completely bogged down on trying to change the legislation around surrogacy. And it came to a grinding halt in the upper house and sort of died a death in committee. 
Since then, things about, you know, they're going to get rid of the gender reassignment board, are they going to address the fact that, you know, there's discrimination in religious-based schools? These are all things that they said they were going to go and tackle, and there's just been nothing. The other thing they've done is put out a um, LGBTI health plan, um, which is a plan for the future, but there's no actual action on it, and there's no money being put behind the things. So they've sort of said there's all these things that need to be done. Now we're just asking, well, when are they going to be done? Out in Perth ran a story about a survey where the LGBTIQ community in WA said they were pretty unhappy with government services. Tell us about that. Yeah, we've got a new rights group. Um, they are called Rainbow Futures. They've just launched last year. To sort of, We've had previous groups in the past. It's sort of come and gone. But this is a new group. It's got quite a broad range of people involved in it. It's, it's been not um, quite carefully set up. It's done a lot of consultation. They went out and they asked people and they had a couple hundred people answer a survey saying what do you care about and the lack of um, services specifically for LGBTI people were one of the things that they've highlighted but in their actual survey the biggest thing was conversion therapy wanting the kind of legislation that's just passed in Victoria be brought here in WA that was the number one thing people identified and it's it's a bit of a radio silence the only people who are talking about conversion therapy in WA the Greens have obviously been very vocal about it that they're completely against it and we also have um, the state director of the Australian Christian Lobby. His name in WA is Peter Betts. He used to be a member of the Liberal Party. He used to be a politician until the last election. And he says that Labor are secretly planning or have, you know, this legislation in the wings. But uh, Labor won't tell us if that's actually true. And presumably he's related to the Tasmanian Senator Erica Betts? He is his older brother. Very interesting indeed. Of course, uh, it wouldn't be a WA interview without uh, me asking you about Margaret Court. What's she been up to lately? Ah, oh, Margaret Court. She was, of course, given another Order of Australia Award. I have this sort of the reaction to this um, quite bizarre. Um, she, there was obviously a lot of um, kickback on her getting the award. A lot of people handed back their Order of Australia Awards. Uh, you know, probably the most high profile was Kerry O'Brien saying he wouldn't take one that he was offered this year. Um, but Margaret Court came out and said that she was being given this one for her, um, you know, tennis one, because the one she previously got was for her charity work, and this one's for her tennis achievements, um, and we should overlook everything she said um, negative about the queer community. If you actually go back and look at her original one, it was for her um, charity work and her tennis achievements. Uh, so it, it just highlights all the comments she said. And we have someone just posted me today, one which was from 20 years ago. So it's not like Margaret Court has recently started saying horrible things about the LGBTI community. She's been doing it here in WA for decades. You ran a story on Pauline Hanson. What's she been up to? Well, she's not coming here. So that was quite a good response. People are quite happy about that. But, um, you know, we're in election mode and I was a little bit sad because I've got to say, Pauline Hanson's launch at the last election was one of the best most hilarious media events I've ever been to, and I was hoping we'd get a rerun of it because it was incredibly entertaining. I've never been to a more disorganised um, event in my life as Pauline and uh, her candidates at the last election. At the last election, they ran candidates in every seat. Um, Pauline came over, she did a big presentation, um, and then the candidates dropped out quite quickly and then all of their backgrounds got highlighted. Uh, this time, she's not come to WA. She says um, she'd probably get blamed for bringing COVID if there was a COVID outbreak. Um, so she's staying away. But also, they can't get any candidates to run for her party. And if you go on Facebook at the moment in WA, pretty much everyone gets one of those sponsored ads asking if you'd like to be a candidate uh, for the Pauline Hanson One Nation Party. Um, and if me and all my friends are getting it, they're not targeting those ads very well. Of course, in Adam Perth, you ran a great story recently about Margaret Thatcher not wanting sex mentioned in HIV AIDS uh, education campaigns in the 80s. Tell us about that. Well, this is interesting. This is actually a story that came from the BBC and um, the guy who was the health minister when Margaret Thatcher was the prime minister at the height of the um, AIDS crisis in the mid-80s. In 1986, here in Australia, we had sort of the Grim Reaper campaign. They had a similar kind of campaign in Britain, probably not quite as harsh. And the guy who was behind putting this campaign sort of spoken out now and said, um, back then in 1986, Margaret Thatcher didn't want to mention any of the stuff about sexual behaviours that might make you more sort of uh, at risk of uh, contracting HIV because she thought people might discover those things. They might not know about it and then they might start going out and trying them. 
um, which he said was a bit confusing, and they just ignored her anyway and put the information out there. Um, but, of course, what has generated this discussion about HIV is the TV show It's a Sin, um, which is uh, playing here on Stan in Australia. It's an amazing TV series, and it's just generated the most amazing discussions, not just in the UK, but around the world, about that sort of HIV crisis in the early 80s, how it relates to COVID today, and what we're doing about HIV today. There's been some really interesting stuff coming out. Of course, uh, Perth recently had a snap lockdown. Of course, we're going into one here in Melbourne this evening. Uh, how did the uh, queer community hold up during that time? Well, it wasn't for very long. It was only a week. Um, but I think what we really saw the big effect was is Perth comes alive in February, January through to February with the Fringe Festival. We have the third biggest Fringe Festival in the world. Um, obviously, um, there were hundreds of shows on um, and it just really you know, through a spanner in the works of that. It was great to be back out and in the world. Fringe was one of the things we had just before COVID hit last year. And, of course, we were back with Fringe. We were seeing trapeze artists and jugglers and drag queens and everyone back up on stage. And then, of course, it all had to shut down for a week. And then this week, um, the restrictions have been quite tough still, so um, audiences had to be quite small. A lot of shows were cancelled. But I've just announced that the Fringe Festival is going to go on for another two weeks. We've also got Perth Festival starting uh, this week, so it's going to be party time here in Perth, so we're very sorry about that while you're in your lockdown. Indeed. Now, what other stories have you got coming up in now in Perth? Well, you never know what's just around the corner, um, but I think, you know, for us at the moment, the big thing is the state election. We really are trying to get some commitment from the major parties um, on the issues that people in our audience care about. Um, you know, I'm sure the intention is probably there, but we just need the actual public uh, confirmation that those policies are going to be in place. And uh, I think um, we're in an interesting space with uh, the WA politics in this area. You know, the last election was a landslide um, that pushed out the um, Barnett government. Um, if you go and look at a map of how many of the seats in our parliament are Labor and how many are Liberal, there's only 14 Liberal seats in our lower house. And the worry is actually that um, that might become even less. And it's not really a good thing when you have an election, you know, an opposition who's only like six or seven guys. Um, you know, they have to be the shadow minister for about 12 things each. So there's a little bit of a worry that, you know, um, what the outcome of this might be. Um, I think, you know, you'd be a brave person to, you know, put it down on a, a liberal win. Um, there'd have to be something fairly major happen. But it's sort of the questions are about, you know, getting people on the record but also to make sure that we still have good processes in government because when you're in the majority of both houses, maybe there's not the same kind of rigor um, and testing of legislation before it goes through when, you know, there's nothing to stop legislation going through. So that's an interesting and an unusual thing maybe to come up in Australian Parliament that there's actually quite a lot of discussion about. Uh, Zach Kirkup, as we mentioned, is our new leader. Um, his first day as leader, he dropped by the LG, um, Pride in Parliament event, so he's very supportive of the queer community as far as we can see, um, and we're just going to see, I guess, if he's able to bring his party along with the views that he's expressed about the queer community, um, because, you know, as they always say, the Liberal Party's a broad church, so maybe the most boring election, but we're still pushing to get some answers. Sounds like you're a bit worried that Mark McGowan might slide into authoritarianism if he's elected with a bigger majority. It's such a strange space to read. Like, as you say, Mark McGowan's approval rating is huge. There are TikTok people making dance videos about Mark McGowan. There are memes of Mark McGowan. Um, there are people wearing T-shirts of Mark McGowan. Uh, the popularity of um, uh, Premier cannot be disputed. But if you just step back a bit and go, hang on, you know, he's, everyone thinks he's doing a great job. We've had obviously had the best COVID response in the country. But it's like, well, hang on, what does this mean in the bigger picture? You know, is, is this actually healthy for good democracy? I guess time's going to tell. Graham Watson, always great to chat with you on 3CR. Thanks heaps for joining me in the Savo. No worries. I um, hope you go smoothly through the lockdown. Cheers. Yeah, I spent three and a half years living on the street and I know what it's like to have no hope and not to feel part of the society and I think that's where a lot of these people are. But I think we need to help people who are traumatised and help people get back on their feet and give them hope and help them um, feel like they're a part of the society again instead of just moving them on like they're an inconvenience. 
if it were not for ruminations, how would the views of those of us who have been homeless or are homeless, how would these views ever be aired? How would they ever be expressed? Subscribe to the station that gives airtime to people with a lived experience of homelessness. Support 3CR. KLF Moomoo Land, you're on In Your Face on 3CR with James, and we're joined on the line by veteran activist Rodney Croom from Just Equal. Rodney, welcome back to 3CR. Hi James, thanks for having me on again. It's a great pleasure, always wonderful to chat with you Rodney. Rodney, let's start with our conversion practices or conversion therapy. Do we need uh, a national law banning conversion practices in Australia? Yes, I think we do. Um, but as with so many of these issues, the reform is more likely to come at a state level and it's good to see that the states are moving ahead on this particular reform. So my hope is that the states will set a high standard and the Commonwealth will make sure that um, when it finally acts on this, it will also set a high standard. 
You must be concerned, though, that some states like Western Australia are dragging their heels on this particular issue. Do you fear that some states won't ban it uh, and therefore will be in a position where some states are in and some states are out and uh, conversion practices will flourish in some parts of the country? Yes, that is a concern, that um, some states will become havens for conversion practices because they haven't acted quickly enough. Um, but I guess at the, at the moment, James, I am fairly optimistic. Uh, so, uh, so far, we've seen three states and territories act. Uh, Queensland was the first. Its legislation is very narrow and not very effective. I hope that they'll revisit that. The ACT was next. Its legislation is very good. And then most recently, Victoria, its legislation is the best in the world and has set a very high standard. Now, in the other states, they're... Uh, there are various initiatives taking place in Tasmania. There's currently a Law Reform Institute inquiry into the issue. In New South Wales, there's a, um, a multi-party, like a cross-party working group that's been formed in the parliament there. On the issue in South Australia, survivors, there's a, a very active survivors group that's lobbying MPs. And, of course, in WA, there's a state election in March, um, and hopefully... Uh, advocates there will be able to extract from the McGowan government, which is, looks likely to be re-elected, a commitment to act on this reform. So at the moment, I'm optimistic, given all of these signs of action, I'm optimistic that, that reform will, will move quickly across the country. Um, uh, but yeah, there is always that danger that if one state refuses to act, it will become the home of conversion. What traits do you think makes the Victorian legislation the best in the world? I mean, that's high praise. Um, because it just cover, it covers such a broad range of activity, uh, including you know uh, prayer based activity that's in the legislation, um, exorcisms, all, all of these various types of religious activity, which I know that um, some faith communities are worried will mean that there's a breach of religious freedom that they won't be able to do what they want to do. But of course. As advocates point out, um, pastors will be able to still stand in the pulpit and say whatever they want about sin. Parents will still be able to talk to their children about whatever values they hold. What we're talking about here are systematic attempts to change individuals through fault making through an ideology that's based on false and misleading claims um, and pseudoscience. And it doesn't matter how that manifests itself, whether, like I said, it's through an exorcism or through a prayer-based activity or through a course that people take or whatever it might be, um, the, uh, the practice will be against the law. The penalties are very uh, clear and strong. Um, the potential jail terms for people who persist with this and a $10,000 fine. Um, and the Human Rights Commission in Victoria has really strong powers to be able to investigate this, even... Uh, in situations where survivors don't feel that they can make the complaints themselves because of the trauma they've experienced, uh, the Human Rights Commission will be able to step in and investigate to see if conversion practices are taking place. So it, it's things like that that provide that mean that Victoria has a strong has a strong model. Now, we should obviously give credit where it's due to the Victorian government and to Daniel Andrews for um, not giving in to the very shrill. Um, an aggressive campaign against this legislation. Um, uh, they didn't look at amendments. They didn't look at watering it down. It went straight through the parliament, which is great. But I want to give credit to the activists and the advocates, particularly those who are speaking on behalf of survivors. Um, not only have they found the courage to be able to tell their personal stories about the uh, conversion practices that they've been through, despite the trauma that they've suffered. Um, not only have they built platforms for lots of survivors to be able to do this, but they have reconceptualized the issue in a way that makes sense to the general public, that makes sense to lawmakers, um, uh, and which has completely confounded uh, those religious traditionalists or conservatives who want to be able to keep on um, torturing young LGBTIQ people in this way. Um, they've taken... The activists have taken the conversation in Australia from where it was just a year or two ago, where most people were saying, does this still happen? 
thinking that it was something in the 1950s, to a point now where it's a serious issue, people understand that it's still happening and they support legislation against it. That is just remarkable. Um, and I really hope that the advocates for survivors have the, have the time and the capacity to write down how they've made this change because it really is um, an inspiration and, and a lesson, uh, an object lesson for, um, for uh, activists across the board to be able to see how it's possible to run a grassroots campaign like that, building up people who have suffered terrible trauma to the point where they're able to see world's best legislation passed. We should all be really proud, as Australians, we should all be really proud of their efforts. Absolutely, and I think special acknowledgement needs to go to the Brave Network, a peer support group and advocacy group and activist group for survivors here in Victoria who's done so much work. The Brave Network has done a tremendous job, not just in Victoria, uh, where obviously their efforts are paid off with this legislation, but also with empowering survivors um, in the other states. So the South Australian group, I think, has quite a lot to do with Brave and they they work closely together. Survivors in Tasmania, who I know personally, have worked closely with Brave. It's the same in New South Wales. They've done a great job um, and uh, they can't get enough they can't get enough accolades to be honest i'm just so uh so full of admiration for their work how would the federal government's religious discrimination bill uh impact on conversion therapy and conversion practices legislation if it was passed um the federal government has said in the past that it doesn't think its legislation would uh in any right, in any way, conflict with a state-based law against conversion practices. They've said that that's not their intention to do that, but obviously there's still a concern that that might happen. Um, uh, as your listeners may remember from when we last talked about this, uh, which was probably before the pandemic, um, the legislation that the federal government has put forward will. Uh, is, is meant to stop discrimination against people of faith, but what it actually does is it allows discrimination in the name of faith. It allows um, hate speech in the workplace uh, and um, under, the, under, under some, some in, and in some states where it's currently uh, strictly prohibited, like in Tasmania. Um, it allows uh, you know, demeaning and derogatory comments if they have a faith faith basis. It allows uh, services to be refused, including health services, on the basis of a health provider's uh, faith. Um, so it, even if it doesn't, in its letter, necessarily impinge on a state-based law, certainly the spirit of it is that, is that whatever nasty prejudice you might have or whatever particular animus you might have towards LGBTIQ people and others it'll somehow be okay to express that or put that into place once this legislation is passed. So I fear that it'll be seen as a green light for um, not only demeaning and degrading LGBTIQ people more broad uh, across society and in the workplace in particular and in health services, but also a green light to people who think that um, uh, that it's okay to be putting us through these cruel, cruel tortures called conversion practices. Of course, the federal government says the legislation is on hold. Does that kind of, you know, conjure up a false sense of security, though, within the LGBTIQ community? And could we wake up one morning to find that it's on and, uh, you know, we've been caught napping? Yeah, we will be. It's coming back. And it's coming back soon. We know it's coming back. Uh, I've spoken to members of the federal coalition uh, who say it'll be back sooner rather than later. Uh, and religious advocates for um, religious, so-called religious freedom are saying the same thing quite openly, that they have been told that it'll be back soon. Um, yeah, so it's only on hold until that day, which could be this week. Well, not this week, it's Friday. Next week, the week after, Parliament sitting for two weeks or in March. Um, it could be back any day. Uh, and I am already working with others uh, to arrange 
you know, lobbying meetings in Canberra to rejig our um, lobbying materials and um, to reach out to allies who we were talking with uh, when the bill was on the table last time uh, at the end of 2019, beginning of 2020, um, to reactivate, if you like, the concern that was there, the deep concern about this bill. Um, in, in a way, I guess, the pandemic on this particular issue, the pandemic, pandemic was a godsend, so to speak, uh, for the government, because there was growing um, disquiet about this legislation at the end of 2019. Um, there were union groups and employer groups and, and the AMA and other, and other medical groups who were all saying, no, this is terrible. What do you think you're doing? Um, and uh, there was a kind of a growing united voice from all these different parts of Australian society saying, we don't want this. Well, of course, um, the bill hasn't been uh, seen or heard of for about a year. Um, and people have gone off, you know, focusing on what they needed to focus on, particularly in relation to public health. Um, and uh, now it'll be our job to try and um, bring those forces together again um, before the government has a chance to introduce this bill and pass it. So it really sounds like the Labor Party needs to get its act together and really run on this issue. I mean, Anthony Albanese is looking for something to get some traction on. You'd think if the government's planning to swoop on this bill that it's the perfect opportunity for him. Yes. Well, uh, if I were Labor leader, which is not going to happen, but if I was, um, I would see it as uh, a fantastic issue to run on, not only because the bill um, rolls back uh, anti-discrimination protections. Most of those protections are, in fact, a Labor legacy. So you, def- uh, you let Anthony Albanese would be defending the Labor Party's legacy if he opposes this bill more strongly. But on top of that, the uh, discrimination that this bill allows um, brings together all of these groups in society who will suffer from that discrimination. Uh, women accessing healthcare, uh, people with disability who um, still suffer sort of religious-based uh, demeaning and derogatory statements and treatment, uh, including in the workplace. Uh, Indigenous people who also uh, suffer from some statement, derogatory statements against their traditional culture in the name of, of, of faith. Um, LGBTIQ people, of course. Anyone, basically, who falls foul of religious, traditional religious tenets um, uh, that will be more legitimised and and given special legal privileges to be able to be, uh, you know, thrown in our face. Um, anyone who suffers from those traditional religious tenets uh, will be affected by this bill. Um, so, yeah, there you have a big rainbow coalition of people that Anthony Albanese has a chance to pull together um, to say, no, we don't want weaker anti-discrimination laws in Australia. We want stronger anti-discrimination laws. Yes, people of faith should be protected from discrimination. I think we can all agree on that. And, um, you know, there should be federal protections for people of faith that aren't there at the moment so that they aren't disadvantaged because of their faith. But to use that noble concept to import this very insidious concept of allowing discrimination and hate speech in the name of faith, that's demeans you know, the, the, the noble ambition of discrimination law and it's demeaning to our nation which has led the world on anti-discrimination law for the last 40 years. Australia is a better place because of our uh, comprehensive network of anti-discrimination laws at a state and federal level. We are more inclusive, we are more tolerant, um, we are a better people. And to undermine that... Uh, those laws is to undermine that ethos of tolerance that we're also proud of being Australians. So, Rodney, it sounds like we can expect the federal government to reintroduce this religious discrimination bill before the winter recess of Parliament. Yeah, that's what we're being told, yes. That's incredibly alarming. So the community obviously needs to mobilise at a time when I think a lot of people are absolutely exhausted and were hoping this issue had just gone away. Uh, But it sounds like the community also really needs to be lobbying the Labor Party. How prepared is the Labor Party to respond to this? What are your sources telling you? Well, uh, there there appears to be division in the Labor Party. Um, Obviously, there are quite a few Labor members uh, who very much oppose this bill, 
precisely because they believe in the principle of a fair go and um, and our, they believe in our anti-discrimination laws and they don't believe that anyone should have a special legal exemption to do whatever they want just because they can you know, invoke a holy book. Um, but then there are, there's a, a small but vocal and powerful minority of Labor members who um, seem to have some sympathy for this legislation. I've been alarmed over the last few months to see that no voices, as far as I can see, not one voice against this bill within the Labor Party has been raised. I think that, like most people, they've just wanted it to go away. But the voices uh, that favour the principles in this bill in the Labor Party have been quite vocal. They've been reported in the Australian newspaper and in other places consistently. So they're still there. They want it to come back and they want the Labor Party to either support it or... Uh, more likely, a more likely outcome that they would achieve would be a conscience vote. If the Labor Party has a conscience vote on this legislation, it will pass because the numbers are so tight in the Senate. Obviously, it will pass the lower house because the government has a majority there. But in the Senate, that's where it could be blocked if Labor voted as a as a block, BLOC. If Labor voted as a block in the Senate, the bill would be stopped. So those in the Labor Party who kind of quite like this bill, um, and obviously they're more religiously aligned ones, conservative religiously aligned, um, they will be pushing for a conscience vote, and if they get that, it'll go through. Uh, it'll be a bit like um, the situation with marriage equality in 2004, when John Howard um, put up an amendment to the Marriage Act to, to ban same-sex marriage, knowing that that would split the Labor Party, uh, which it did, um, until uh, Labor resolved that it would vote for that amendment, uh, vote for that amendment to the Marriage Act uh, and allow it through. Um, I fear the same thing will happen here, that Labor will either vote for this bill or it will more likely have a conscience vote, knowing that it will go through, um, and then we'll be left in a situation where, for the first time in Australian history, anti-discrimination protections have been rolled back. So what can we do about that? If you have uh, a Labor member as your local member, or if you have Labor senators, which we all do in every state, then email them today. Just say, I fear that this bill will come back. I think it's really important that the Labor Party opposes it. Um, and I call. I want you to go into the Labor caucus and, and call on the caucus to oppose this bill now. Because if Labor says no now, even before the bills come back, if Labor says no now, it won't come back. I mean, what would be the point if it's going to be defeated in the Senate? The government is only bringing this bill back because it knows that Labor is divided. So this issue is a real litmus test of Anthony Albanese's leadership and it sounds like he really needs to get his caucus into line and uh, not allow a conscience vote. Of course, his leadership's under jeopardy. Uh, so I guess the Prime Minister's exploiting his weakness. Yes, exactly. Anthony Albanese, um, to his credit, in 20, um, 2019, he, um, he spoke... Uh, 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 he attended... Uh, meetings uh, in Sydney and Melbourne where uh, people expressed concern about the bill. Uh, I was at one in Melbourne, and again, the, 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 it was a huge table, and it was cramped, surrounded by people from all of these different walks of life, medical professionals, Australian industry group, all of these different people. Um, and he listened carefully. And um, uh, so he, he knows now what the concerns are. They're all in front of him. He's heard all these concerns, he knows what the problems are, it's time for him to act. Uh, and I say, even before the bill comes back, just say, no, we don't want this. We're trying to recover from a pandemic, slowly and fits and starts, as you well know in Melbourne today. It's really difficult. Do we need a bill, at a time like this when we need to be um, pulling together to try and save lives, um, all do the right thing. Do we need a bill that's going to divide us, that's going to say, uh, all you queers over there and people with disabilities and uh, all you women accessing reproductive health, we don't care about you. What we're going to do is give a special exemption to all these people over here who want to be able to discriminate against you because 
that they say that they're doing it in the name of religion. Do we want that kind of divisive legislation at this moment in Australian history? We never want it, but we especially don't want it now. Ronnie Kroon, thank you so much for joining me today on 3CR. Much appreciated. Thanks, James. Rodney Croom there talking about the federal government's religious discrimination legislation. It looks like it's about to emerge again real soon. You are on In Your Face on 3CR. Here are the Supremes. do that. You're on In Your Face on 3CR with James, while Florin Douglas is the training coordinator at Transgender Victoria, and he joins us on the line. Florin, welcome to the program. Hello, James. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to have you on board. You've got a trans forum uh, next week, the 17th and 18th of February. Tell us all about it. That's right. We certainly do. So the trans forum program um, has been designed uh, in relationship with a lot of feedback that we received um, from trans and gender diverse community members over the last 18 months. Um, we really wanted to start bringing some stuff to them that will make them feel like they're um, increasing their skills and knowledge in peer support areas. So we've put together this first one as like a pilot and we're hopefully looking forward to running some more of them in the future throughout 2021. So it sounds like there's a really strong community building, a strong community capacity building, community development focus going on. That is exactly what is going on, James. You're spot on. So what are some of the uh, leadership issues and community uh, capacity building issues that you think the community needs uh, more resilience with? Um, That is such a complex question. Um, I could talk about it to you all day, and I know we've only got a few minutes. So um, I will bring up one example. Um, one of the workshops that we're going to be running during Transforum is called Managing Complex Trauma in Peer Support. So um, there is a huge experience of like endemic trauma in transgender communities, um, which is so understandable because we're an extremely vulnerable part of the population. So we're offering this session in response to the fact that um, sort of community members have told us they're feeling like they're lacking knowledge in that area, like they could use some more support. Um, and that session is going to be run by a person who is qualified in trauma, in psychology, and also um, delivers workshops like this as sort of his day-to-day job. Um, and that session is being run um, by a member of the transgender community as well. 
Um, so we're sort of trying to bring together different sort of transgender leaders with community members, um, yeah, to manage that sort of social community group, overlapping experiences of trauma, and yeah. And what are some of the other issues that you really want to highlight? Um, some of the other issues that we are focusing on are um, things like project ambitions in the transgender community is a very ambitious community. Um, and with uh, community leaders, often we'll have people who really want to bring something together, um, bring the transgender community together, and um, they don't necessarily have the skills to actually get a project up and running. So we're using these two days as an opportunity to um, start pulling some of those projects together, community leaders together. And so we have a couple of sessions on things like peer support information, um, project ambition versus reality. So how to sort of unpack what makes a successful project. Um, some sort of things like finding allies uh, for your for your project, getting financial support, um, Sort of, we're trying to give a, a wraparound approach. And it sounds like this forum is really aiming to build uh, visibility of the trans community as well, especially among young gender diverse people. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, we want to bring visibility to each other. So to say, you know, there are other people in your community that are just like you, um, that have had the same experiences as you, and to build those community connections, yeah. Because I guess that that isolation is something that really keeps trans people apart and really stops people from emerging and being able to express their true gender identity. That's right. Well, I think um, part of that sort of endemic trauma that we experience is the um, sort of very intense feelings of shame that we're made to feel about being transgender um, that makes people want to hide that part of themselves, which is, um, you know, a reasonable thing to want to do. But when we come together, we can all be, you know, really open about our experiences and all in a big group together. Even when we're, you know, this forum is happening online, it is going to be virtual. Um, and I'm really glad that we made that choice. Um, obviously, considering in light of the lockdown that got announced today, we did decide to have it be virtual in case something like that happened. And so luckily it is able to go ahead and we're able to provide that support during the next five days to our transgender community um, because we made that choice. So, um, yeah, I feel like in terms of, sort of peer-to-peer visibility. I think that's like a really big focus for the event. So tell us how people can register for the Trans Forum and uh, be part of it all. Um, so you just need to visit um, the Transgender Victoria website. That's transgendervictoria.org.au. Um, there's a big banner right there that says Trans Forum. You click that um, and it'll take you through to a page where you can uh, read all about the event and register. Um, or I, I also strongly recommend that you follow Transgender Victoria on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Um, we're posting about um, the registration links and other things to do with Trans Forum on there. Um, and... The, all the events are free, so you can sign up to just attend one or you can attend the full two days. Um, we are fully footing the bill for the entire um, event series, um, and that's because it's really important that we get as many people in learning these skills, um, getting to know each other as possible. So, yeah, all the events are free. You just need to register and show up. Fantastic, Florin. We are out of time. Uh, it's been fantastic talking to you. We'll have to have a chat when we've got more time uh, and we'll catch you next time on In Your Face. Thank you so much for joining us and uh, best of luck with the Trans Forum on the 17th and 18th of February. Thanks so much, James. Talk to you later. Cheers. The wonderful Florin Douglas there. I am out of here. Jacob's up next with a Friday rave. Taking us out is Madonna with Jump and we'll catch you next week on In Your Face.
face would like to thank Thorn Harbour Health for their sponsorship of this program. Thorn Harbour Health envisions a healthy future for our gender, sex and sexuality diverse communities, a future without HIV and a future where all people live with dignity and respect. To find out more, search Thorn Harbour Health on your search engine or Facebook. Three.